0: I know we always say we're excited about these interviews, but truly, I am so like, let's just, gosh, God is so good in how he brings people together mm. from across the world to talk about hard things and to talk about it in light of the gospel and the hope that Jesus mm. gives. Uh, we got the privilege to talk with Sheridan Voise. He is f- from Australia, but he lives in the UK right now. He's Him and his wife live in Oxford. And they're talking about a subject that Ryan and I are less familiar with in terms of experience. Um, but it's but, very
1: familiar to a lot of our listeners. Yes, and that's,
0: yes it's uh, infertility and childlessness. It's uh, a hard topic. It is a very difficult. It's very, a, diff- it's very it, it, easy to hurt feelings. It's very well, easy to yeah. gloss over. It's easy to just kind of try to walk through and get it and talk about whatever, you know, the story. But uh, so, Sheridan has a beautiful way of mm. talking and sharing his story. The heartache, uh, how those around him helped him, how those around him didn't help them, um, and it's it's beautiful and hopeful, and mm. just shares all of the pain and trials that you yeah. that they a, went through for ten years.
1: So you're gonna if if that's something that you've struggled with, whether you've you've gone through uh, infertility or, or through childlessness, yeah. or you're going through it, or you know someone who's going through that right now this interview is for you and like selena said sheridan does an amazing job of articulating kind of the heartache and the hopelessness but but he doesn't leave us there we 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 terminate Mm. on the hope of jesus we end on the hope of jesus and understanding how great it truly is we are confident that this episode is going to bless you so if you can take notes but if not you're still going to love it so we'll see you on the other side Listeners, we have an amazing guest today. Sheridan Voisey is a friend, a new friend from across the pond. Sheridan, you're with us. How are you?
2: Hey, I'm really good, Ryan, Selena. It's so good (laughs) to be with you. Thanks for this time.
1: Yeah, man, I, I am thrilled. We got to talking a little bit beforehand. Listeners, before you have to wonder too much, Sheridan, you are a mixture of uh, of cultures, so people can obviously hear your accent, which as Americans, we're constantly, rom- it's romanticized in our minds. So give, give us a little bit of, the, of, of your backstory. Where do you come from? Why are you here today? Just kind of give us, lay some groundwork for us.
2: Oh, look, I laugh a little bit at what you just said, because I was just <laughs> speaking at a church just a, a few weeks ago uh in Grand Rapids and it's run by a pastor friend of mine who is from West Virginia and mm. he said he said when people hear your accent Sheridan they immediately add like you know 30 IQ points to you. yes <laughs> when, <laughs> when people hear my accent they immediately take away 30 IQ points <laughs> and said, you are what? fortunate yeah He's the one with the PhD. I don't have the PhD, so he's the <laughs> brightest one between the two yeah. of us. But yeah, look, it's, it's a strange accent. Um, I was born in Australia to English parents, and so I never had a really Australian broad, you know, kind of accent yeah. like that. <laughs>
1: Crocodile Dundee.
2: <laughs> that kind of thing, exactly. All of that that you celebrate in, uh, in the movies. But uh, we've been based here in the UK for the last eight, nine years, so... Mm. You know, so yes, it's definitely a, a kind of a mixture of the two accents.
1: Mm, I love it. I love it. And you're so, wh- okay, so you grew up in Australia with British parents, moved to the UK. Obviously, there's a lot happening in there, right? You got married. There's been, uh, so you're talking about specifically uh, your journey through infertility, childlessness, how how God led you uh, and your wife through. What's your wife's name, by the way? Marin. Merrin, so love the name. Imagine
2: Merry Christmas, but with an N on it, Merrin, <laughs>
1: Merrin, mm. love that name. Um, so you guys have a very, um, I mean, hard story that you walked through, but the beauty of it is, is you've, you've been able to see God's goodness even through that. So i mean give us give us some of that backstory. where did that struggle begin? at what point did I mean you have some books out? I know we're kind of going all over the place here, but I just want to hear um your heart for i guess there's a lot of couples that are struggling with infertility have struggled with it for years. We have good friends, mm-hmm. and we don't we don't know what to say uh, because it's yeah. just it's just hard so what what say you <laughs> to that?
2: Yeah. Oh my goodness, okay, let me take you back to the kitchen of our little rented flat uh where yeah. we were in the year 2000 and meryn walks into the kitchen and she says to me honey i think it's time and i said time for what said, <laughs> for, breakfast, <of> course. <laughs> yeah, for breakfast for dinner uh, she says time we started a family and i said what right now fantastic let's go <laughs> <laughs> and you know it was time for us to start a family we'd been married by by then about five years yeah. and you know we just assumed that, okay, there will be one month of expectation. You know, every couple, once they make that decision, the next four weeks, the next 28 days, there is expectation. And it's very common for, at the end of that 28 days, that expectation to be met with disappointment. Very common. And then another 28 days, expectation. Very common for that also to be met with Mm -hmm. disappointment. And then often expectation in the third month is met with excitement. Well, for us, we had nine months of expectation followed by disappointment. We went and got some tests done. Those tests revealed there was a significant problem on my side and that without either a divine miracle or some sort of technological assistance, we would be struggling to start our family. And Ryan, really, that was the beginning of what turned out to be a decade in what we call the the, the wilderness of infertility. Mm. And during those 10 years, we tried everything that we felt comfortable trying. Uh, we looked into the ethics of IVF. It took me a couple of years to try and work out whether this was a tool that you know we should use. It's one thing for us to have a tool available to us. But for, for us Christians, we are called to mm. do a little bit of extra homework and yeah. say, well, does this take away life? Uh, does this facilitate life? What does it do? Um, I have Christian friends who came down against IVF. They felt that it wasn't for them because of some of the ethical questions still up in the air about it. Yeah. I have others for whom they had no problem and they went straight into it. Uh, for us, we did a kind of a limited form, if you like. We we decided we would only fertilize as many eggs as we felt that we could then implant as embryos and therefore yeah. have a family. If you know, we, we didn't want to discard any embryos at the end of the process, which many couples find themselves in the position they needed to do. Mm. So we tried that in 2006. We tried special diets. We tried special supplements. We tried chiropractic. And to this day, I do not know why we tried <laughs> chiropractic. <laughs> but none of that worked. Mm. In 2008, we then were accepted after an eight month assessment process to be accepted into the adoption program in New South Wales in Australia, where we were living at the time. And we were hoping every week that the phone call would come, Mm. that our little girl, a little boy was ready for us to collect. And one month, two months, three months passed, and no phone call. Finally, eight, nine, ten months passed, and no phone call. In the end, nearly two years passed, and no phone call. Mm. Mm. And Merrin, by this stage, was in a mess. Her relationship with God was severely tested. Mm. And she said, look, I can't live in this limbo. Can, can we go and do IVF again? And so by this stage, it was 2010 We decided to do as many rounds of IVF as it would take for us to get our dreamt of child. And we got to the end of 2010. This is now 10 years after that original conversation in the kitchen. We had one embryo left to transfer. And we had decided by this stage, okay, we've given this 10 years. We've tried everything we feel comfortable trying. If this embryo doesn't result in a pregnancy, then we're going to move on with our lives as a childless couple. The embryo was transferred. We didn't have much hope left by this stage. Uh, we, we'd we been praying for 10 years for this, and we didn't have mm. a lot of hope left. Thankfully, our friends were praying for us. Mm. And would you believe that uh, as we were heading up to celebrate Christmas with our family, we got a phone call saying, it's looking good. And Maren said, uh, define the word good. <laughs> are, we, are we talking? It's looking, it's looking good. Or are we talking? It's looking good. And the, the lady from the IVF clinic, she said, Maren, all your hormone levels are exactly where we'd expect them to be for a pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And with that, we had celebration amongst our family and friends who had journeyed with us for a decade and then would you believe we had another phone call on Christmas Eve, the same lady from the clinic, and she said, I am so, so sorry. Mm. It turned out that the IVF drugs had created a gestational sack, but there was no body in the sack, mm. and the doctors had been fooled. And with that, Marin had put the phone down, walked into our bedroom, curled up in a fetal position, and that's mm-hmm. where our 10-year journey through uh, the wilderness of infertility ended. Mm. <laughs> Goodness, I'm like,
1: I'm feeling really emotional. Um, yeah, that, long, I can't imagine.
0: That's a long time. That's a long time. Yeah, and
1: quite a few ups and downs. I mean, it's as up and as down as you can get, I feel like, um, in terms of your hopes, and especially when you value family and you guys have gone to such great lengths. So here you are, um, kind of on the other side of that journey. Um, but still, I want to it's a lot that obviously you had to gloss over, um, talking through 10 years. How mm-hmm. did that affect, how did that affect your marriage? I mean, what effect did it have on, you know, your conflict or your sense of, I mean, even being, you know, a sense of being a man, right. And since, and, and maybe your, your Marin sense of being a woman who mm-hmm. feels like it's her, you know, I use this word, but I don't mean what all it means. It's almost, her, feels like maybe it's her duty, right? To bear this child or obviously desire, but then there's a duty side to it as well um, that sometimes okay. we can feel. How did that affect your relationship?
2: Oh my goodness. So I'm glad you've asked it because it's such an important one to explore with couples who are wrestling with fertility. Mm-hmm. Um, is that this journey, of all things, can put so much pressure on a relationship. Let me tell you a story. When we were starting to explore the whole idea of doing IVF, uh, we met with an IVF counsellor. And the counsellor said, well, you know that you know infertility, and particularly IVF, can put a lot of strain on a marriage. And we thought she was talking about the strain that comes from the drugs, because it's quite well known when you're doing IVF that mm-hmm. the woman takes drugs that, on the one hand, centre almost into hyperactive fertility. So there's these drugs that are, are there to, to, to stimulate the release of mm-hmm. the eggs. And then after that comes a drug that almost kind of puts you into like a, like a menopause. It doesn't put you into menopause, but it's almost like that, that kind mm-hmm. of effect. So you can imagine the mm-hmm. effect that that has on your emotions mm-hmm. when you're going through all these drugs. Yeah. Yes. And the counsellor said, well, I'm not talking about that talking about the decision making. I'm talking about when you're not on the same page and maybe one of you wants to do another round and another round and another round of IVF and the other one wants to stop, those kinds of things. Mm. And Marin said to the counsellor, we've already talked about that and we've already decided that our marriage is more important than having a child. Mm. If ever the journey gets to affecting our marriage, we will bring it to an end. And you know what, Selena and Ryan, what? this counsellor did next she actually slumped in her chair and she said I am so glad to hear you say that because just Mm. yesterday a couple sat in the very same chairs that you're sitting in now and the woman said in front of the man to me she said if this doesn't work if IVF doesn't give us a child our marriage is over Mm. and I think that is symbolic I think of Mm. The great pressure that can happen with this, and we made that commitment right from the beginning that our marriage was important, more important than than the success of the journey, and you know that really held us. That really held us in good stead in the end. Um, I can't I can't count the amount of hours that we had sitting on our couch trying to work out what to do next, and we would pray about it. And a very strange thing would happen. After we had prayed about something, we often were not on the same page. And that was kind of rare for us. Mm. Um, generally, if we wanted to pray about something, we necessarily talk it through. We'd then pray about it. And then afterwards, we'd be, oh, how are you feeling about that? Well, I'm thinking maybe we go this way. and I, well, I'm feeling the same way. So often when it came to this journey, we weren't. We mm. were considering overseas adoption at one stage mm-hmm. and whether we should go for overseas versus local adoption and we came out on different sides of that. When it came to thinking further about overseas, we were thinking about whether we should go for the Philippines or for uh, uh, another uh, program, I think it was Taiwan. We came out on different sides of that. I would have been more than happy to have brought the whole journey to an end easily five years earlier than there. All this goes to say is that sometimes you can be in very different places, and we had to just simply sit in that couch and times we wanted to leave. We didn't want to talk about it anymore. I didn't want to talk about it anymore, but we had to work through the issues and compromise. And sometimes they compromised, Other times I did to, to, to arrive at something we'd say, okay, let's, let's pursue this. Let's explore this. Mm. And uh, that's, I mean, that's really how we got through those 10 years.
0: Wow. I mean, that's just, that's just walking through fire together. And it feels like Mm. one person walks out, but the other person's still there. So you got to go back and, and be with each other. Right. In those, Mm. in those really just tough places, especially when you're so used to um, being on the same page. I think that's, that's kind of where Ryan and I fall. When you said we would pray about things and get different (laughs) answers. I was like, Oh man, You just, you know, you come back feeling just, you know, filled up and, Oh yeah, I bet I bet God's told him the same thing, and then you're like, "What? This is not at all God. I don't think you're hearing the Lord right. You you're, right? Not you know, just, yeah.
1: you're not hearing the Lord <laughs> you're right. Not yeah. the Lord
0: right. Um, but I, I've often sat um, kind of in the seat next to friends who have uh, walked this journey, or who have had you know number of miscarriages, and obviously, I don't always have the words. I've I've gone to friends and say, "How can I serve you? Um, what was who are those people, I guess, in your and Marion's life that, how did they respond the best? Like who were those people that really kind of came alongside you? Uh, What, what, what were some characteristics or things that they did to that really, I guess, touched you guys during your, during this trial, during your walk Um, maybe instructing some of us that haven't experienced some things in, in those areas, how we can love well, right. And love as Christ.
2: Yeah. Yeah. A, a great question. Uh, the the people that didn't help us were the people who either dismissed the problem.
0: Mm.
2: I'm thinking particularly when I was really trying to work out the ethics of IVF and I was getting two quite common responses from, from Christians. One was, uh, oh, you know, just accept God's will. Mm. Um, you know, if, if, You know, if you're not having children, it's because God wants you to to not have children and therefore just accept God's will. Actually, funnily enough, that's more fate than faith. Mm. Uh, So Mm. there are times, of course, when we don't have what what we desire or maybe even what God wants to give us. But actually, he wants us to reach out and he wants us to do something towards that. Otherwise, we would say to everybody who is poor in the world, just accept your lot. This is God's will for you. Of course, that's incorrect. Mm. The same thing when you're just simply writing off somebody's infertility and saying, well, it's God's will, Uh, just accept your state. On the other side, though, were the people who went the other way and they said, don't worry about the ethics. Uh, Just, it's like there were so overwhelmed with the joy of being parents themselves they didn't want anything to get in the way of us experiencing the same joy and they mm. said i remember one person said you oh, you know god what worries about the ethics you know you just go and do IVF, if you just go and do whatever it takes to go and get the child uh i don't think that's also a christian response so those two things weren't particularly helpful mm. um there's the the classic things of of people over-spiritualizing, so starting to look for a demon under every bush <laughs> uh, right. or some sort of unconfessed sin, mm-hmm. uh, generational curses comes mm-hmm. out a lot for people uh, who are experiencing infertility. Um, if you're in a particular circle of church oh. life, <laughs> then mm-hmm. – We know, yeah. To... <laughs> uh, that's right. Okay. I, it sounds like we're talking, talking uh, <laughs> language here. Um, that comes out quite a bit, uh, and so you get that all the time. The other, in related to that, will often be people prophesying uh, for you, prophesying children. Um, so we wrote our story into a book called Resurrection Year, and that was all about our year starting again when we came here to the UK to start our lives again after not being able to have the children. And as a result of that, we've heard from literally hundreds and hundreds of, of people all telling their stories to us in quite significant detail. I'll never forget this one woman who talked about a, quote, prophet who came to her church and prophesied over her uh, that she would have three children. He gave the dates that they were going to be born. Mm
0: -hmm. He even
2: gave the names uh, of uh, of the children. And then, of course, the first date came around and there was no child. The second date came around. She still hadn't conceived. The third child the third date came around, they still were childless. She went into an emotional breakdown as a result. Mm. And when the church brought that prophet back, the pastor arranged a meeting between the two of them. Did you know what the prophet said? He mm. said, If you don't have the faith to believe what the Lord has promised, that's okay.
0: <sighs> <laughs> that's that so That
2: is the
1: most That's the most toxic thing.
2: That's right. It is is toxic. And unfortunately, I hear a number of stories on those lines. Mm. Now, to what helps? We had a Friday night small group that we were a part of. I, I, I can't fault them because when you're going through this journey, there are times where it just gets really difficult spiritually. How do you tell somebody that you don't want them to pray for you anymore?
1: Mm -hmm. because
2: every time you're prayed for what is the appropriate response to being prayed for the appropriate response is expectation isn't it you know Mm -hmm. maybe god will do something now just imagine that every month for 10 years Mm -hmm. you have had that expectation followed by a crushing and it gets more crushing the longer it goes on a crushing Mm -hmm. disappointment towards the end out of self-protection you kind of don't want anybody to pray for you anymore now, that's a hard thing to tell Christians because they start to hear it as a lack of faith, but actually what it is is just an incredibly wounded soul.
0: That's right. been discussed.
2: Mm. These friends of ours, they said, you know what? Okay, we don't have to pray for you and lay hands on you. We don't have to do We will pray for you by ourselves. We will be your prayer for you. Mm. Now, that I think is just what those wonderful friends of that paralytic in mark chapter 2 we're doing remember they had this friend he was he was paralyzed they couldn't get into the house to see jesus cuz it was so crammed full of people listening to him so they jump up onto the onto the roof they dig a hole they lower their friend down through the roof that whole story you never hear the paral- paralyzed guy ever praying or asking for anything Jesus looks at the faith of the friends, and as a result of their faith, he actually then heals the guy from his paralysis. And, and that's that's the kind of friendship that those people offered us. I'm so grateful for that. So there were times where we needed to talk and they're available. There was a time when we just could not talk about it at all, and they were, they were sensitive. I think that's the thing, is that just being sensitive and just checking in and saying, you know, is this a day to talk about it or is this a day to go and have a coffee or to go and see a movie or just to have some fun Mm. and talk about something else?
0: So good. So good.
1: There's just so much, um, I don't know. We have, we have some friends that I think are really good at this. At just kind of sitting with us when we're going through something hard or we've kind of, it's there in our community group at church and we've watched them just sit alongside instead of trying to offer solutions or offer, um, Offer anything, but just sit and exist and abide in Christ together alongside them. As you're talking, I looked up Psalm 131. I think it's just such a beautiful picture of calmness in in light of kind of an internal turmoil, right? Or hopelessness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's so short. I just want to read it real fast. It's 131. It says, Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. And then it finishes with, Oh Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. So just that that visual of just kind of quieting your soul. I know we're talking about children here, so there's a bit of um, kind of an irony, right? But Ooh, sure. but like a weaned child going to our father, um, I don't know, there's just so much power in that. And I hear that. I hear you saying that that, um, of all your friends and all the things that they had did could have done or did, um, that was just sitting with you, um, Mm. and contending for you, like you said, in, in, in Luke, um, that story in Luke. So, man.
0: Um, Yeah. yeah, I can't, I mean, I just, I can't imagine how calloused your hearts must have felt at some times and some moments and it's just wisdom for me. I, I, I'm so grateful to hear uh, mm. How we can serve and love each other well, and community is such a big part of yeah. uh, marriage and family and mm. life and culture around that. Um, so bring us, bring us to today, and you know, kind of your journey, I guess, out of that wilderness uh, where you guys are at. Was that Rupert that we heard?
2: Yeah, you could hear him, could you? I was hoping just you... me, maybe not the <laughs> listeners, which
0: is fine. We have two dogs too. We love dogs, kids, life, anything. We're just yeah. beaming over here. So I, I um, know
2: that I know that you guys are dog people. So <laughs> I, I, which is obviously one reason why I already like you straight away. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that is indeed my Rupert. He's for for those who would like to know the breed. He is, I think, in America you call them Spoodles. That's a poodle mixed with a um, cocker spaniel. Oh, in the nice. UK, yeah. That's I've never yeah, heard yeah. That, that particular mix before. <laughs> the UK they're called cockapoos but some people okay. don't like that phrase so <laughs> could be a fence, my brother yeah. has
0: that
2: There's those gorgeous things so anyway the next time <laughs> I'm in the Pacific Northwest and we might be able to get the two dogs together so we'll see <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah I mean in terms of then taking the story on and thank you for, for for reading that psalm Ryan because that is beautiful there is a time there where we just we put all the hard stuff away we just focus on him and we just we are That's still great. and having people around to help us just so important. So uh, folks listening, write that psalm down, so important. Mm. Well, gosh, I mean, it's been eight years since that time. And well, actually, nine years now, uh, since that time, we have been able to move on. And I think this is kind of key, is that Resurrection Year, the subtitle is Turning Broken Dreams into New Beginnings. Mm. There is a time in which you can come and you can offer your broken dream to God and see what he might do with it. Now, this, I think, brings the genius of our God into play. Mm. So I cannot tell you now why God didn't give us a child. I hear stories every week on the news of parents who neglected their child or, you know, some children that have been, you know, shunted around from... Foster care to foster care to foster care, they ended up in the in the the criminal system. You know, we would have been so much better than that. I don't know Mm. why, and that's I think it's another important thing too. Is sometimes it's kind of worthwhile just letting the why question drop a little bit, so that. Um, We can be tormented with with the why Um, question. I remember talking to Philip Yancey once and he said, you know what, the Bible doesn't really talk a lot about the why of these bad things happening. What it tends to focus on is, well, what do I do next? How do I follow God in the midst of this? Mm. So the only other thing that Maren had wanted to do with her life was to live and work overseas and long story short, I mean that's what Resurrection Year is for. <laughs> the whole story isn't there. But when we were, when she was offered a job at Oxford University, which you have to, you know, admit is a pretty good gig to get offered. Yeah, yeah, not bad. <laughs> <Yes>. not, bad. <laughs> not bad, not bad. <laughs> we saw that as kind of a, an opportunity for, for what are the better phrase, a consolation prize from Mary. Mm. And so we packed up. And we left Sydney and we came to Oxford. And I can tell you now that it's only really a couple miles from here that J.R.R. R. Tolkien wrote The Lord of the Rings in a little mm. house in a suburb not far from me. And it's only five miles in the opposite direction. And we can walk up to C.S. Lewis's house, The Kilns, where he wrote Chronicles of Narnia and all these other great books. It's an amazing, amazing mm. town. Now, do you go to the? Thing, sorry,
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna interject. But do you go to the, the Eagle and Child?
2: child? <laughs> oh, of course. Of yeah. Course. Now, the and funny thing is, whenever I go, it's filled with you Americans. Yeah, Of course. <laughs> it is the magnet for every American Christian on the face of the earth.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, it's, it's a bit in of a.
2: More Brits most days.
1: Yeah, you got to go on. You got to go on the downtimes, but you can't be drinking like early in the morning. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, you haven't you haven't met some Brits. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Apparently you can, yeah. Sorry to actually, interrupt. Go ahead. Eagle Child is a great pub. It's actually one of the really nice pubs. And, you know, for, for some people that are listening saying, whoa, what are, what are you talking about pubs? The the English pub is really a place for families to get together and for mm-hmm. friends to get together. It doesn't have the connotations of some American pubs or yeah. indeed some Australian pubs where they're really places to go and get drunk. So it's a sort of wonderful little place. But, but I... The, the, since we we're, we're talking about scripture proverbs 13:12 really came alive for us proverbs 13:12 mm. says hope deferred makes the heart sick mm. now we experienced that Maren's heart was sick after 10 years of infertility mm. the second part of that proverb though is a dream fulfilled is a tree of life and mm. coming to oxford And Meryn having this new job and this new opportunity, she's in medical research. She really came to the best place in the world, quite literally, to do the kind of research she does. And she has just not looked back. It really has been a dream fulfilled that has been a tree of life for her. It's like leaving the wilderness and entering the promised land. Mm. Mm, Of course, it's no replacement for a child, but it was the new beginning she needed. It was a little bit difficult for me, though. Everything Mm. for me career-wise, ministry-wise, in Sydney was going very, very well. I had a national radio show. I had book contracts. I had wonderful speaking opportunities. And when we came to the UK, all of that closed down because, as you guys well know, these days so much is wrapped around this word platform. It's about people knowing you. It's about people following you. And if you basically up countries, move to a different place, Very soon I had publishers saying, well, who's Sheridan Boise? You might have readers in Australia, but we don't know who you are. Who's going to buy your book? Mm -hmm. So the publishing opportunities closed down, at least for a period of time. BBC radio wasn't returning my phone calls back then and churches weren't asking me to speak and conferences weren't giving me to speak. So not only was I not going to become a father, but maybe the writer, speaker, broadcaster that I'd built my life on for 15 years beforehand, maybe that was all gone too. And so this is the second part of the story, is that then I went on a journey, much more mm. personal for me than it was for Marin, of discovering, well, who can I become now? What really is my identity and what really is my purpose? And that's led to this latest book, which is a follow on to resurrection You and it's called The Making of Us. And that's all about who can we become when life doesn't go as planned. And what I discovered from all the letters that came in from resurrection year readers is that I wasn't alone. Is that when you go through a broken dream, when you can't have something that you want, well, with that comes a broken identity too, because if you dream of becoming a parent, well, then you may not be able to tell mum or dad, and that's an identity statement or the same thing with a career, or maybe you've lost your health and that's mm. held you back from the things that you've dreamed of, of becoming every broken dream carries with it a broken identity. So who can you become then? Mm. And that has been the great redemptive aspect of everything that we've kind of had is just discover that that's actually when you can become who God really wants you to be and take you really deep into that wonderful identity that he gives us of being children of God. And man, I could speak for another hour or two on that topic alone. Oh my word. Well,
0: we would would sit here happily and listen. listen.
1: Uh, we, I mean, not to tell, I don't want to tell our story because people on our podcast have heard it, but, um, just so you're aware, we, we actually had a similar thing in the first, it was, it was the second year of our marriage. We had, we got married young. So during college, we finished college, um, in our hometown. And then Selena had this hairbrained idea to move. A
0: dream. Let's just <laughs> okay. use the right terms here. <laughs> a dream. To hey, go overseas bad? and ride horses, because that's what you do.
1: Well, no, that's not yours. what you do. That's what you wanted <laughs> to what do. That's I wanted to do. <laughs> that's um, an amazing oh, dream.
0: Young Selena.
1: She found, so we actually found these jobs at, at a Swiss uh, farm in just outside of Zurich. And so not having any real prospects, I said, hey, let's do it. And uh, to, I think much to your shock, Selena. Um, but we ended up shipping over to Switzerland. I had a congenital heart defect. I, needed, I actually was very sick, didn't realize it, had to have... Uh, open heart surgery in Switzerland and they're saying he might not live through this because the infection in my heart was so bad. And uh, anyway, we ended up kind of coming back Six weeks later, mm-hmm. after being in the hospital for for five of those weeks, yes. coming back kind of with our tail between our legs, thinking yeah. like
0: no money, no jobs, and just like our identities or, are shattered. Yeah, yeah. And
1: on yeah, top of that, yeah. so much of what you said earlier it echoes true for us because some of our friends, I think, not knowing better, basically said like, "Well, that's what happens when you fall outside of God's will," type of thing, <laughs> oh. right? Because they they didn't think our move was right, <laughs> oh, and, right. And so oh, it was just. No.
0: It just, you know, it just speaks to the truth of, I mean, so his heart surgery was just kind of a metaphor for fierce, where fierce marriage came from, like Mm. eight to 10 years later of. Yeah. We never
1: saw that until, you know, 10 years on the other side of it. This is how God has, is choosing to redeem that. Not that God caused it, but he's choosing to redeem that brokenness that, you know, we live in a broken world. Sin has shattered everything yet. He is still active and Mm -hmm. redemptive Mm -hmm. and he's working to um, shape everything for for our good and for his glory, right? So anyway, hearing your story, I could just sit. We have a lot of connection
0: points just to get personal real quick. My brother lives just right outside of Maidenhead. Um, oh, okay and, yes and he's been in London for a number of years and then we've been to Oxford it's one of our favorite places oh, obviously it's
1: unreal and ah. then you I have this little pipe dream I'll say it's a we should talk off the air about how I can get into <laughs> Oxford <'cause> I'm, <laughs> I'm currently in seminary and I'm trying to I'm going to seminary at Westminster with the specific purpose of trying to figure out how I can um parlay that into a degree that Oxford actually thinks is worthy of a oh student wow of. So. Oh, man. But We don't know
0: god may break you know, that dream so
2: yeah, <laughs> we'll see i
1: might have to learn from it yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> well um gosh it would
2: be so good to have you guys on this side of the world uh and <laughs> yeah. all i can tell you is that i don't know a lot about the oxford system my wife now has a phd from oxford well, hmm. of course wow. it's actually called a d DPhil here in oxford yes. because yeah. oxford is different to the rest of the world That's <laughs> right it's exactly well, the, the first
1: university you can do that right well, uh, <laughs> you,
2: can, you can pull a few uh pull a few strings <laughs> That's true. It's incredibly difficult to get into. At the same time, every year, of course, many people do. So I would suggest that one of your first points of call should be Wycliffe College. Anyway, so we can talk about more of that. But even (laughs) for our listeners, Wycliffe College is um, a very fine Christian college connected to Oxford University. That would be the first point of call I would suggest to you.
1: Oh, wow. Okay, well, I'll, I'll definitely be bothering you about all that up <laughs> <the air> here.
2: <laughs> and you're talking Man. to somebody who, I could not get into Oxford. I mean, the fact is, even if I wanted to, and it's a really interesting town in that regard, people talk about the town-gown divide, is that uh, there is this, this whole world of academia. And, of course, mm. this is where I, I think it's 40-odd, Presidents, prime ministers, world leaders have come through Oxford University. It is a place of changing the world. But it's it's a it's a world unto itself. There are mm-hmm. whole places in Oxford I can't get into because I'm not a student, but as a student you can. Uh, and then the rest of outside of that world is just a regular old town. And we've mm-hmm. got homeless people, we've got rundown areas that are desperately in need of work. So, mm-hmm. you know, the the heart. Higher kind of lofty idea that most people have of Oxford is partly true. The rest of the place is just a, a beautiful place with amazing stone buildings, but also with a lot of uh, poverty attached to it as well. Mm. So it's a it's a fascinating place.
1: Yes, yes. Yeah. And that was, I think, that echoes my experience. Our experience when we mm-hmm. were there is, it's like you you see that it's just a it's just a town. People live in here, and then there's just like massive institution right there <laughs> and massive yeah. in terms of influence, but also just um, the presence there. Um, so I just, I'm just out of curiosity. Um, so Marin got her PhD and you and you're, you both living there clearly. What, so what, uh, what do you both spend your days doing as you're, as you're living there together?
2: Well, Marin's involved in medical research, particularly in vaccines. And so mm-hmm. she does these amazing projects, multi-country projects where she is researching. Ironically, she's done big projects on child health. And so looking at uh, maternal antibodies and, and mm-hmm. various vaccine programs uh, for developing countries. So amazing stuff. She's consulted to the World Health Organization. You know, wow. It has been a wonderful place for her to come. And for me, while I'm talking to you right now in my little study slash studio and I'm surrounded by my beloved books and, Mm. you know, I write books, I contribute to BBC Radio 2, which is the largest broadcaster here in Europe. Europe. It's got 15 million uh, listeners every week. Mm. Um, And I speak at conferences. So here's a little bit of a spiral back to where we've begun. is that Yes, when I first came, those those career identities closed, I mean, for a good 18 months, two years. But God's opened it up, but he's taken it in a completely different direction. Mm. So in Australia, we were kind of pioneering broadcasting that was Christian broadcasting connecting with the mainstream secular mind of Australia. And it's not really done anywhere else outside of Australia. It's not done even here in the UK. It's certainly not done in the United States. Uh, But that was wonderful work. We had a Sunday night show, 100,000 listeners. About half of those were not Christians that were listening in. So it was wonderful work, but there was no real platform for that over here when I got to the United Kingdom. But now I'm able to go into The Breakfast Show on BBC Radio 2, which alone has about 8 million listeners every day. Mm. And I'm able to go in there as a committed Christian with my little Christian hat on, if you like. And I'm allowed to give a two and a half minute God spot. So I'm reaching a lot more people with Mm, the faith that we're talking about that brings life and hope and redemption, which the Mm. world is hungering for, by the way. The world is hungering for it. Um, Far bigger than what I was doing in Australia. It just took a little while for God to work that around. I get Mm. to now speak at some really interesting very large Christian conferences, not just here in the UK, but also in the United States and around the world. Mm. But also I get to walk into secular spaces. I was, get this, I was asked to be like a closing keynote speaker at this conference that brought artists. So filmmakers and dancers and choreographers (laughs) and visual artists together with fertility experts, now, hmm. I, I'd never heard of it, an event like that before. <laughs> that sounds... <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> it's, it's Britain. Things are a little bit different, a little bit different over here. Um, but this conference, so it was bringing together both art and science when it came to childlessness. And I was able to walk in and I was able to tell these secular folks, all of which, there's a couple of hundred people there, all of which were trying to work out what to do with their lives because They were also on the infertility road. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know who they were going to become now, and yet they didn't have God to be the prime anchor point for their very drifting lives. And I was able to come in and I was able to share with them some wisdom from the Sermon on the Mount. I was Mm. able to talk about Christ and the things that he said because even at a secular level, the things that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, things like love your enemies and turn the other cheek are profoundly respected, even if not followed, respected in the secular space. Mm. So I was able to walk into those people's lives, and that's kind of what God's opened up now. I used to be an apologist on Christian radio in Australia, and that's still my heart. I love to give some good, solid reasons why, you know, you can believe that there is a good God out there, even with all the difficulties Mm. and the disappointments and the broken dreams. Uh. But now it's like God's given this ministry of redemption, of mm. helping people to find who they can become when life hasn't gone as planned and actually to discover that, that you are much bigger than that one little thing that you're trying to build your life on, that one little identity, be it mother, father, wife, husband, mm. um, writer, speaker, broadcaster, engineer, teacher. You're already bigger than that. And the greatest gift you can mm. ever receive is to be a, a child of God and go deep into that identity. Man.
1: And that's yeah. that hope piece, right? Just cur- curling up, right? In in that identity that you have in Christ as a child of God. I mean, I love hearing that, that you were invited to this event where you, it's like this, it's this collision of art and science, right? And here you are bringing hope and faith mm. to uh, a area that so clearly and desperately needs it. How redempt, I mean, you just said it, how beautiful is that work of redemption that God is doing? So listeners, I can't urge you strongly enough Mm -hmm. to check out sheridan's books uh the two we've mentioned here are resurrection year he wrote that one about what eight years ago or so but it's still as relevant today right Mm -hmm. came out in
2: 2013 yes and uh yeah it continues to sell
1: beautiful and and man and again your story and then some everything we talked about obviously uh, built out and then the second one is uh the making of us so both of these books i think listeners if you're dealing with I think any sort of hope, right? Hope lost or hope unfulfilled, um, and how it's making your heart sick. I think both of these books are going to bring hope to that. And Sheridan, obviously I want to give you a chance to close out. Um, Anything else you want to say about those specific books that that, or any other of your resources, or where can people go to find your resources specifically?
2: Oh well, if I mean, you can get the books from Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all of the regular places, go to your local bookstore. If they don't have it, they can order it. Um, but otherwise, SheridanVoisy is uh, where you can find out more about me. Uh, Or actually, um, I'll give you the other URL, themakingofus.com. So that'll take you directly to the book. Uh, And also that's where you can download a little kind of poetic piece that I've got in the back of the book at the end when we go on this journey and I kind of have this little kind of epiphany as to what my life should be about and what our lives can be about. And I wrote it up into something called The Creed. And if you go to themakingofus.com, you can download that as a printable and put it up on your wall. I read it every day just to give me a little bit of inspiration. Mm. So I'm going to do that right now. This like that.
0: <laughs> I love it. So, final question here, just because we always do this. Um, next time we need to have Marion on here. As well. I, I would love that. But <laughs> she sounds like a busy lady. <laughs> I know. Maybe she can make time in her day for us. She's busy
1: doing PhD things and
0: Special, yeah. solving She's world changing problems. The world.
2: <laughs> uh, solving world problems, that's more like it. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> um, what, what would be one of your most memorable dates together? And typically, the wife and the husband usually have different. They have ones. their own dates, but
2: you, yeah, you, but you, you get
0: to, Yes, you get to take over on this. <laughs> That's right. I
2: get to. I get to hold the mic on this. One. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, I think Marin would probably agree with me. There was this. There was this one date that we had, and we had it in Paris. Now I know it sounds incredibly romantic already, but again, when you live in the UK, you can literally yeah. spend a weekend in Paris. It doesn't take <clears> it that long to get over there, but we had just come over to the UK. So it was December of 2011. It was our 15th wedding anniversary. And we went out and we booked into this special, lovely little French restaurant, and we had the most amazing meal. But it was what that night signified, really, is that we had survived this 10 difficult years. And it had just ended then. Remember, we'd been married five years before we started a family, 10 years of trying to start a family. So this is right at the end of that journey, right at the beginning of us starting our new lives. And we were able to just sit there and talk about all the special moments we'd had as a couple already in that 15 years, about the time when she had sacrificed for me for us to leave Brisbane, our hometown and move to Perth in Western Australia for me to get my first radio gig. And then she sacrificed again, when we then moved to Sydney for me to start this national radio show. And then I sacrificed for her uh, for coming over to the UK. And we we just kind of started remembering all of these important moments Mm -hmm. that had come in our lives, that had ultimately brought us stronger together, and had bound us more and more together. And that was a very that was a very special moment i don't think we'll ever forget that and we've since then we've had a twentieth anniversary and we're now you know we're going on to our twenty third uh but that that was a very special moment that was a very special date um, i don't think we'll ever forget that one awesome.
1: praise God so much of um, our heritage as god's people is us being called to remember with clarity what God has done um, throughout Um, throughout our lives but also throughout history and i think so much that is we have to i would say where we mark them with milestones or almost i use the word relic sometimes where you kind of have something that reminds you of what god who he is and what he's done and what what an awesome story though too in paris of all places Mm -hmm. i know it's got kind of this romanticized view of it um but the food there is unreal. It, really oh, is. Oh my goodness.
2: it yeah. was such a good meal, I can tell you that. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> Man, so thank you so much Sheridan for being being with us today. Yeah. This has been a gift to us. I know our listeners are um blessed by your transparency, your, your sharing wisdom, your story and yeah. your wisdom um and just um Man, your faith, your great faith that has obviously been forged in fire over the years. And here it is on display for us. So thank you for testifying yeah. for to God's goodness and um, just being a faithful servant. Um, listeners, go to com. You can find all of his amazing resources and then some, everything we've mentioned here today, and then some. And if you're in the UK, make sure you uh, watch for him on uh, TV <laughs> and <laughs> listen to yeah, it. Yeah, listen. It, yeah. Our, TV, radio, wherever you are, I'm sure you're, you're prolific. So, um, anyway, thank you so much, Sheridan. It's been a joy. Hope to talk again soon. So
2: good to talk to you, Ryan. So good to talk to you, Selena. Thank you so much. All right, listeners, we trust that you've enjoyed this
1: episode. I know that we had an amazing time speaking with Sheridan, um, and just hearing his story. Like we mentioned in the podcast, make sure and check out uh, Sheridan's books, namely, um, the making of us. That's his latest title, but also uh, his other book was Resurrection Year. So check both of those out wherever you get your books. You can find both of those. Pick up a copy of each one. Read through them. Uh, if you're looking for more resources from Sheridan himself, you can go to SheridanVoise.com. There's all kinds of resources there. And once again, thank you for joining us for the Fierce Marriage Podcast. And we will see you, I don't know, in a few so days. stay fierce. Stay fierce.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thank you for listening to the Fierce Marriage Podcast. For more resources for your marriage, please visit FierceMarriage.com or you can find us with our handle at Fiercemarriage on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you so much for listening. We hope it's blessed you. Take care.